0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I just want to say before we get going that um, it it really is a great privilege uh, to be with you every Sunday like this, whether by live stream or in person. And... uh, I just want you to know that it's not something that, that uh, you know, I take for granted these days, as I'm sure you don't either, but it's, it's uh, such a wonderful uh, privilege to be able to meet in this way and uh, to think about what the Lord is saying to us and to worship him and uh, to be able uh, to do this together. There's nothing simple or easy about this morning's gospel. It uses very strong language and disturbing images, end-of-the-world scenes, like the distress of nations, the roaring of the sea, the shaking of heavenly powers, and people's hearts failing them for The Lord Jesus himself is the speaker, so we cannot pretend there is some mix-up in transmission or some misunderstanding in the passage. These were his words recorded by St. Luke, and they're echoed in the Gospels according to St. Matthew and St. Mark. In Mark, Jesus calls these apocalyptic signs the beginnings of sorrows. The beginnings, not the very end, the beginnings. These disturbing signs will be warnings to us that the time of our King's return is drawing near. As Christians, we believe that Christ will return at the end of time as our king and judge. He has promised to come with power and great glory to establish God's eternal kingdom in all of its fullness, perfection, and justice. However, as Jesus said, of that day and that hour knoweth no one, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the sun but the Father. That said, in the words of last week's epistle, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. In other words, we should pay attention to the signs and be ready. Speaking of signs, the past 100 years have produced an incredible list Under pestilences, which is one of the signs mentioned in the Gospels, there was the Spanish flu of 1918, the severe acute respiratory syndrome known as SARS of 2003, the Ebola virus which began in 2014, and now the COVID-19 pandemic. Under the signs of wars and rumors of wars, we all know the list, World War One, World War Two, the Korean War, Vietnam War, the Cold War, the Gulf War, the Rwandan Genocide, the Bosnian War, the war in Afghanistan, and the list goes on and on. And that's just in the last hundred years. And then there are the signs in nature, as Jesus said, in the sun and in the moon and in the stars, the sea and the waves roaring. The Environment and Climate Change Canada website lists the top weather events of the 20th century. All kinds of atrocities beginning in 1900 are recorded decade by decade. Many of these were major Canadian storms. All of them were Canadian storms. Major storms that I've never heard of. For example, the Black Sunday Storm in 1913 that lasted for a whole week from November the 7th to November the 13th. Winds of 140 kilometers an hour whipped over lakes Erie and Ontario taking down 34 ships and 270 sailors. Days later, the crew of one ship was found lashed to the mast, frozen to death. How about this one? The deadliest heat wave in history. 12 days, July 5th to 17th in 1936. Temperatures exceeding 44 degrees Celsius in Manitoba and Ontario marked the longest and deadliest heat wave on record in Canada. Almost 1,200 Canadians died. The heat was so intense that steel rail lines and bridge girders twisted, sidewalks buckled, crops wilted, and fruit baked on trees. There were other ones, like the Eskumenak disaster of June 1959, which resulted from hurricane winds of 137 kilometers an hour, and claimed the lives of 35 New Brunswick fishermen who were on on the Northumberland Strait. Bob Searle, our own Bob Searle was there. The list goes on. The Groundhog Day storm on February 2nd, 1976, which slammed into St. John with winds that were clocked at 188 kilometers an hour, generating 12-meter waves and swells as high as 10 meters in the Bay of Funday. And I remember that the power was off for two weeks. And let's not forget the back-to-back flooding of the St. John River in 2018 and 2019 at levels reserved for the 100-year flood Anyway, the list goes on, and this is the list of just the Canadian storms. The thing is, we just don't know whether these signs are the actual beginnings of sorrows, or whether other signs are to come. But we do know that these events are serious. The epidemics and the pandemics the wars and the rumors of wars, the famines and the floods, the cyclones and the tsunamis, the earthquakes and the hurricanes, the heat waves and the droughts, a person would have to have their head buried in the sand for a long time not to recognize the serious nature of these things. At the very, very least, they tell us three things. Obvious things. First, they tell us that we are just people, mere mortals, and that we are not in control. Our human powers are minuscule compared to the power displayed by God in the natural world. Second, these signs tell us that this world is passing away. We are far, far, far removed from the beauty, harmony, and perfection of the Garden of Eden. Third, these extreme and violent weather events could be described as the groaning of the whole creation As St. Paul put it, the groaning of the whole creation as it awaits Christ's return. We don't know. These signs could very well be the biblical signs the church has been anticipating for generations. At this point, we should probably ask the question, so what? So what if the big storms remind us that we're not in control? So what if this world is passing away? So what if these are actually signs of the end times? Well, for some people, that so what will just remain on the table. Some people simply refuse to engage in any discussion that involves faith or the invisible. Through the Trinity season we reflected on this on the perspective of this secular mindset. For other people however these signs of turbulence in the natural world are scary and really troublesome. And they want to know where to find hope. That's their question in response to so what? Where do I find hope? And this is exactly the point of today's epistle. Listen to this. Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. In other words, as we find our little boat in uncharted waters, there is a map to guide us, and it is the Word of God. A good illustration of what St. Paul was saying about finding hope in the scriptures may be found in the use of a map and compass. A few years ago, the Eighth Canadian Hussars, the Armoured Reconnaissance Regiment that meets in the Moncton Garrison at the end of Park Street, conducted an escape and evade exercise in CFB Gagetown. The exercise began with a briefing in the training area around Petersville, halfway between Oromocto and St. John. Once orders were received, when it was long after dark and nearing midnight, sections of troops were loaded into trucks and transported an hour's drive away. And the tail flap of the trucks was buttoned down so that the troops had no idea where they were going. At their drop-off point, the section commanders were each given a map and compass and two grid references. One grid reference was their drop-off location and the other was their objective. Their mission was to get to the objective without getting caught by the enemy. You can imagine the goings-on with this scenario. Once dropped off, not knowing where they were, sections huddled under a raincoat with a flashlight to conceal the light and to plot their route. They scrutinized the map and then started out. They took a bearing over and over again. They took bearings throughout the night and all through the next day. They referred and poured poured over their maps and carefully used their compasses, checking and rechecking. At times, visibility was almost nil because of the thick alders they were walking through. At other times in low-lying swampy areas, there was no way of seeing what was beyond the next clump of bushes. But gradually and carefully, by constantly checking the map and compass, they found their way out of the woods to their objective. They had walked through darkness and rain, deep forest and thick brush. They had crossed streams and swamps. It was a challenging 24 hours, but they made it by faith, using their map and compass. For us, our spiritual journey has its own darknesses, its own swamps and thick forests, such that we can be left doubting, perplexed stressed out, exhausted, unsure, worried, and afraid. And to make things worse, we know that the enemy is prowling around, looking for prey to devour. There are storms of life that consist of temptations, mistakes, failures, accidents, sicknesses, broken relationships, and deaths. And there are also signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars. And upon the earth, distress of nations. These consist of extreme weather events, wars, rumors of wars, famines, floods, earthquakes, and let's not forget pandemics too. All of these factors together, spiritual and natural, make navigating this old life very difficult, what will our map and compass be? The culture does not have a map and compass. It finds its way by picking values that are determined by popular opinion. This is very important to note. The culture does not have a map and compass. It finds its way by picking values made popular by popular opinion. As Christians we do have a map and compass that provide us with objective truth about who we are and about who God is and about what it means to live in this human condition. As Christians, our first and best guide for all time is the Bible, God's own inspired word, And as Anglicans, we also have the prayer book. And the reason I mention it at all is because it is basically the Bible arranged for prayer. I'm not saying it is the Bible. I'm saying it's an expression. It flows from the Bible. It's the Bible arranged for prayer. In his sermon at St. Paul's in London, England, on this same subject, a little over 100 years ago, H.P. Lyddon said, although its form was suited to the ancient world, its thought and its substance belong to all time. In it, God speaks to the soul of man. From age to age, God is the same. He does not change. And from age to age, the soul is the same. It does not change. So although the Bible spoke to people and to nations that have long passed away, it also speaks to us. No change in outward circumstances of human life or in the various departments of human knowledge can affect the lasting authority and worth of the Bible. It is lifted high up out of the reaches of these changes by the simple fact that it is the book of God. Its future is assured because its truest and deepest lessons belong not to time but to eternity. The point is critical. Human nature has not changed one iota. We struggle with the same temptations that plagued Adam and Eve. That being the case, people throughout history have wrestled with the same questions. How can I get rid of my guilt? Why do bad things happen? What is my purpose in life? What happens when somebody dies? The answers to these questions ultimately lie with God, the one who created this world and the one who gave us life. He knows these answers, and only He can deliver us from the darkness within us and outside of us. And so, we need His book as our guide. In telling us about God's nature, that God is love, agape love, and that he sent his only son into the world to die on the cross as the full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice for our sins and the sins of the whole world, the Bible truly is the book of hope. God's book the Bible, the book of hope. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The book of hope. We have hope now by trusting what the scripture tells us that because of Jesus' precious blood, our sins have been forgiven. We have hope and new life now because the Bible tells us Jesus rose from the dead and conquers all of death's powers. We have hope now because Jesus ascended into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in us as our comforter and counselor. And we have hope for the future regardless of what comes because we know that Christ has promised to come again to set everything to rights we have hope because we believe as the children of God that God sees and knows all things the Son of God who is also the Son of Man will come in a cloud with power and great glory And we will look up and see him, and then we will know that our redemption draweth nigh. Until that day of the Lord, we live in hope with the book of hope. With the spirit of hope dwelling in us. The book of hope, it's our map and compass It's the key to our destination, our heavenly home. But the thing is, we must, as today's colleague says, read it. Mark, learn, and inwardly digest it. It will not enter our minds by magic or osmosis. If we truly want to be filled with hope and joy and peace, we have to make a regular daily time For this book of hope, we must read it. The scriptures, said St. Augustine, are letters from our heavenly country. And we who hope to reach the shores of that heavenly country should learn what we can about it now. And about the conditions of reaching it. And now, dear friends, the God of all hope, the blessed and eternal Trinity, the living God, the God of all hope, fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.